Just because you're studying a particular madhab, that doesn't mean everything in it will be 100% correct. Alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salam ala rasulillah, amma ba'd. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu and welcome to the Beyond the Member podcast. I am your host, Muhammad Basaeed. And today, inshallah ta'ala, we are going to be discussing the matters of fiqh. And we're going to be delving into stuff like madahibs and difference of opinions. And I am blessed to be joined here to discuss this topic with none other than Imam Mustafa Abu Rayyan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. How are you keeping you okay? Alhamdulillah, I'm blessed. Alhamdulillah. Allahumma barik. Um, so it's been a while since me and you done a podcast. Yes, yes, it has been. Uh, we've been trying to get this podcast thing happening with me and you. Yes, yeah, we, for, for a while, but alhamdulillah, at the end of the day, we made it. Uh, yeah, and I was thinking about um, what we could discuss. Okay. And uh, we did ha- do a uh, two months ago. We had the universities of uh, Islam, Islam universities yes. uh, series in the month of January, I think it was. Yeah, when we were doing the interviews uh, yep. with different students of knowledge. Now. So everyone who came on and they were talking about the university that they had gone to, yeah. they had studied in the faculty of Sharia. Yes. All right. And then brothers were coming up to me yeah. after the, it was over and they said to me, um, how come no one studied uh, from the faculty of hadith? Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. We there were ha- some complaints now. Yeah, we should have had someone come from the faculty of hadith. So I want to talk about uh, kind of maybe that as well. First um, thing I want to ask you, yeah. inshallah, if that's okay, is um, what is the definition of fiqh? Okay, um, I, I will answer that in a bit, but I just wanted to kind of uh, talk about when we were trying to get people for the university, uh, um, the uh, interviews, Yeah. Uh, the plan was to go to different universities mm. and uh, we had limited options right so, so stats that recently graduated that can talk about their experience and everyone that we reached out to happened to be from Kulita Sharia right yeah. so it was a, a, a more of an accident rather than something that we planned on yeah but you do find that uh, a large proportion of students that go abroad to study they tend to go to the faculty of Sharia and the main thing you study in there is fiqh mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you asked him what is fiqh well fiqh is the um, the there's a very strict definition that the scholars or the jurists give it, uh, but linguistically, and this is something you come across anyone that picked up a basic fiqh book. Whenever a term is being explained, what they usually do is they they tell you what it linguistically means. So the early Arabs, when they heard the word fiqh, what did they understand from it? So the word fiqh, the scholars say, it means faham, understanding. Mm-hmm. So Allah uses this term in the Quran, laifqahun. They don't understand. So fiqh is to understand something. Some ulama said it's to understand it deeply. As it relates to Islamic sciences and what we study and, 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 and the subject of fiqh, which you heard fiqh of fasting, fiqh of zakat, fiqh of hajj, and that is very specific. And that is the, uh, the knowledge or the study of uh, the, verdicts, the verdicts that relate to the actions that the Muslim does, right? With its evidences. So for example, the study of how hajj is done, the different ways, what is obligatory, the different the study of how we do conduct a nikah, what are the conditions, the study of how we pray. So, if the study of fiqh is related more to the a'mal, the actions, and uh, as opposed to the study, for example, of aqidah, which is to do with our belief. So, aqidah is the study of what a Muslim believes in. Fiqh, you could say, is the study of what a Muslim does, how they worship. 
So this is would be what the study of fiqh is. So in terms of saying that that this is what fiqh is, as an Islamic science, um, how important is fiqh in as being part of the Islamic science? Extremely, it's extremely important. I mean, listen, we all study fiqh. When your uh, madrasa teacher or your father is teaching you how to pray, where to put your hands, what to say during sujood, this is all study of fiqh. Mm-hmm. When you're learning that you have to give zakat, 2.5%, this is also the study of fiqh. So everyone studies fiqh, right? Maybe they don't call it that or maybe they don't study it formally. But every Muslim that is worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they're applying the rulings uh, that that uh, are studied in the books of fiqh, right? But it is a lot more detailed than that. Generally speaking, if you open up a basic fiqh book, it will start by telling you about the uh, the acts of worship, right? So it's, it's actually... Most fiqh books, even all of them, they start with the chapter of purification. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is they would have started with the chapter of prayer mm-hmm. because that's the first pillar after the shahada. But to pray, you must be purified. You must make wudu. So they talk about the rulings of wudu. And to make wudu, you need water. So they talk about the rulings of water. So it's quite detailed. So you study that, purification, and then you study how to pray. And then the chapter of zakat, and then you study how to pay it, the condition, who gets it, when do they get it how often, etc. then fasting, and then hajj. And most people that study fiqh, they kind of stop there. Mm-hmm. But then after that, you have the chapters related to family uh, matters, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, how to get married, uh, How what are the rights of the two spouses? Then you have the study of, for example, um, uh, the conditions of what makes a marriage right, and then also how to dissolve a marriage, because sadly these things happen. Yeah. You need to know how to do it Islamically. And then after that, it also goes on into the law as it relates to when people harm each other, right? How do you, for example, if uh, someone uh, commits a crime, how is that then dealt with? It's studied in fiqh as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the judiciary system in Islam, right? The judge, uh, how does he rule by? What does he rule by when two people are disputing over land or they're disputing over something? All of this mm-hmm. is studied in the chap- in, in the books of fiqh and it's a tradition that is a thousand, I mean, it starts since the time of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, but there are like thousands and thousands of books on it. Jazakallah khair. Let's uh, go back a bit. You told me just now um, that uh, amongst the early Arabs Naam. that the word fiqh meant to understand. Yes, right? or to understand deeply. Or to understand deeply. Naam. Okay, so can we go back and, and and say at the time of the Prophet and the Sahaba, was there such thing as fiqh? Yes, yes, there okay. was. And in fact, we have what it calls the fuqaha of the Sahaba, mm-hmm. right? The more knowledgeable of the of the Sahaba, right? The Sahaba, they learned the deen from the Prophet He would tell them what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. Mm-hmm. And what the knowledge they picked up as it relates to the do's and the don'ts, the halal and the haram, the acts of worship, this is all their fiqh. And what we study today and what's recorded in these books, it is just the culmination of the companions learning from the Prophet and then those companions teaching it, teaching it to the tabi'een. And then at one point, these things got recorded. Mm-hmm. So... The fiqh books that you see are basically the remnants of the fiqh of the companions mm-hmm. who they pass it on and they taught it. Uh, and this is something. So the Sahaba learned fiqh, but perhaps not in the traditional way that we do today. They didn't have books that they start with and there were no madhabs that they studied or anything like that. But they absolutely applied it, which is why also fiqh is when you uh, try and uh, extract rulings. So, for example, the Prophet will say something. Now what Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam When he says something That can be understood as an obligation or a recommendation mm-hmm. So the Sahaba would sometimes differ over that When the Prophet said it Was he telling us that we must do it mm-hmm. Or we ought to do it right? So applying their understanding Remember fiqh is understanding uh, To the statements of the Prophet mm-hmm. Is fiqh 
Mm. Applying the understanding to the Quran is fiqh. And you will have Umar's verdict, famous verdict, Umar would say. And sometimes Umar uh, عنه, would struggle with a particular issue and he would get a lot of the companions together to discuss it. Mm. So what are they discussing and what do they already have? They have the statement of the Prophet. They have the verse. Mm-hmm. So if they have the verse, then what are they doing? They're applying the understanding and everyone is saying, well, uh, in my understanding, this verse is telling us to do this. Actually, maybe it's not. It's telling us to do this. And they would discuss that. And sometimes they would agree on something. And sometimes they would differ. Mm-hmm. All of these efforts, in other words, effort is juhd, which is where ijtihad comes from. Mm-hmm. All of this effort, this is basically the application of fiqh. This is their application of their understanding. Jazakallah mm-hmm. khair. You know, you mentioned two things. Uh, and I want to talk uh, uh, about them. But uh, you mentioned the madhab. Naam. Right. And then you mentioned about the sahabas when they're doing... Um, they're doing understanding and and of of the, they have the verse and they the have of the prophet and they have the same statement of the prophet وسلم, and they're deciding on a matter or trying to understand a, a, a yes. masala. So let's go with madhab first. Um, what, how how do madhabs enter into this and where did they come into this? Okay, so a madhab is. Um, Literally, it means uh, the way you went, right, or the approach you took, right. So, uh, before the four famous madahib, there were madahib that came before them, right. The companions, when they learned from the Prophet wasallam, and they taught the tabi'in, they had approaches and ways of understanding, right. And you you actually notice early on that some of the approaches were a little bit different. You might have some Sahaba that were a lot more eager to really sticking with the the more literal meanings of the Prophet statements. Mm-hmm. And you would have maybe some companions that would uh, look at it a bit more deeply uh, or broadly, right? And uh, do more ijtihad, if that makes sense. And uh, I'm sure you've heard a statement, uh, there was one that said, letter of the law versus the spirit of the law, right? Mm-hmm. Some, so uh, how literal should we be or... Or should we just get the, the, the gist of, of, of what is being said or what is meant or what's the general objective, right? So early on, you'll find some khilaf between the Sahaba. Now, this khilaf, very important point, this khilaf never led to division. Like, so the, 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 their difference of opinion never led to division, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm done with you, you're done with me. And that was never the case. A famous example of this is where Sahaba would differ on an issue. And again, they would basically take different approaches and different conclusions i.e. different madhabs, right, would be uh, when Uthman ibn Affan who chose to combine, not chose to pray four rak'at at Arafah rather than the two, that was known by the Prophet oh. This is very interesting, right? So the, the, the Prophet would always pray du qasr, he would pray two, right? And there's no narration of him praying the, the full salah, right? Similar with Umar and Abu Bakr, right? So that should be a done deal. Yeah. No one should say then, okay, you know what? I'm going to do jump. I'm, I'm going to complete the salah and pray for. But Uthman bin Affan, he did that. And he had his reasoning. He had his fiqh and his understanding. And his understanding was that the Prophet, whenever he went to Mecca, he was always a traveler. And what do travelers do? They chosen the prayer. Yeah. He did not consider himself a traveler because he had a family in Mecca. Mm-hmm. So, he, so in, in his fiqh, in his understanding, the rule did not apply mm-hmm. to him. He's leading the prayer. And if he's leading the prayer, the people that are praying behind him should do what the Imam does, like the Prophet said. Mm-hmm. So rather than praying two, he chose to pray four. four. Mm-hmm. His reasoning, when you think about it, it makes sense. Yeah. There was a companion, Abdullah al-Mas'ud, who was very against this. Mm-hmm. He spoke out against this. Mm-hmm. He said, this is wrong. Mm-hmm. 
And he disagreed with it. Mm-hmm. He disagreed with his conclusion, his approach, his madhab on this particular issue. Uh, in the end, Uthman joined the Salah and prayed for. Uthman? No, Uthman, uh, uh, Abdullah Mas'ud. Uh, he prayed for, anyway. Yeah. Although he disagreed with it. Yeah. And when he was asked why, he said, Al-Khilaf Shar. Right? Division, disagreement is evil. Mm-hmm. So it's almost that he appreciated that there was scope mm-hmm. and he was still honest to his own opinion. Mm-hmm. Not just only was he honest about his opinion about the matter, he spoke it out, he clarified it, but then he understood that the the cohesion of the ummah it takes precedence in this case. The point I'm trying to make was the Sahaba would differ based on their approaches and their madhabs. Now, if that's happening within the companions, and this, and for example, Aisha bint Abi Bakr, radiallahu anha, again, she is among the scholars, among the fuqaha of the companions. There are so many issues where she would correct other Sahaba. In mm. fact, there's a book compiled, the issues where Aisha corrected other companions, radiallahu anha, right? And she was a teacher in her own right. And then you have Abu Bakr and Umar disagreeing on issues, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes they would agree and others would disagree, right? These things would happen. Mm-hmm. Why is it happening? Why is it is happening? Because they are all applying their understanding to the statements of either the Prophet or Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is what fiqh is. Mm-hmm. And because our minds are different, our understandings are different, our level of knowledge are different, and theirs was different too, they will sometimes come to different conclusions. And this is where they would have different schools and different opinions. Now, every Sahabi, or uh, they would, they lived in places and they taught students. And what are they going to teach their students? Their fiqh, what they understood to be right. Mm-hmm. And this is where schools started to form, right? You have the school of Medina, mm-hmm. right? Um, Abdullah ibn Umar was there, right? Aisha bin Abi Bakr was there, Ubayy ibn Ka'b and others, right? And then you had school of Kufa. There were other companions there. And these schools started to form and the tabi'een were learning from those companions and then those companions. So what happens is as you go by generation, the teachings would solidify more, mm-hmm. right? Now, it's not just one Sahabi with one opinion. It's Sahabi with many students. That students, they learn from him. Those students start teaching others and all of a sudden you have a formation of almost of a school, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It is these schools that gave birth to the formal herbs. Okay. So that's where madhabs come from. Imam Malik is a product of uh, uh, Nafi' and, and other, other tabi'een who studied under Ibn Umar and other companions who took directly from the Prophet ﷺ. So a lot of the things that Imam Malik would then, uh, his verdicts and his uh, opinions, they are not his own. And this is a common issue that people have, which is they think that the four madhabs were just whatever Imam Shafi'i thought of, whatever Abu Hanifa anhum, thought of. No, no. They are also products of their own teachers yeah. who are products of their teachers and, the, and who's the ultimate teacher? Where did it also come from? Prophet from the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, right? So this is how the schools of thought were formed. And if you can see uh, how it came from the Prophet, the companions, they made the madaris, these madaris, they kept on going. And then you had very, very intelligent and noble students, Imam Shafi'i, Ahmed al Imam Malik and Abu Hanifa, there are there were others as well on similar levels of knowledge, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allowed those schools, those teachers and their students to flourish. And in the end, it's really the students that made these schools happen. Yeah. When Imam Shafi'i traveled to Egypt, Imam Shafi'i is a very interesting uh, um, uh, character person, subhanAllah. He has a connection to all Malahib. Right. So he taught Ahmed al-Hanbal, he studied under Imam Malik, and he studied under the students or studied with the students of Abu Hanifa. Mm. Another interesting fact about him is the, the, the year 150 Hijri is when Abu Hanifa dies. Mm-hmm. And that's when Imam Shafi'i was born. Oh, right. There's an interesting connection there as well. Um, so Imam Shafi'i goes to 
after studying from these giants, Imam Malik, the Imam of Darul Hijra, Imam of Medina, and studying under, he ended up going to Egypt and he meets a great scholar, Layth, Layth. And he says, Layth can afqaha min Malik. Layth was, had a stronger level of knowledge than Imam Malik himself, except that his students didn't really uh, uh, help him. His, Imam Malik would really spread his teachings with his students. Mm-hmm. So this is where, you, so the question of why did this teacher's school form and become madhab and not this one? Why doesn't Ozai have a school or a Thawri yeah. or the Sufyans? It's, it's because, first of all, Allah chose these schools to be developed and to, to, to grow. And two, it's really the students that carry. Mm, subhanAllah. Now, you know, mashallah, all these people you're mentioning, yeah, they are in their own right scholars. Absolutely. You know, now when anyone who's watching this, you yeah. know, and he will say or she will say to themselves, that's fair, that's fine. You know, these are people who, number one, they took directly from the Prophet, no. and number two, they, they studied and they were close to that kind of era no. of, of, of knowledge and, and, and deen. But us, yeah, uh, us as in people now, especially general mass, yeah. who we may not be scholars, we're not studying, and whatever the case may have you. When it comes to madhabs, yeah, yeah um, what do we do? Well, first of all, one, what do we do? Okay. Yeah, as in, do we choose, a, we, choose yeah. choosing a madhab? Yeah. Uh, adhering to a madhab? Yeah. Sticking to a madhab? Okay. Which madhab is right? Which madhab is wrong? Okay. You know, um, I'm just a, a normal person who's trying to learn. The, the basics so yeah. where do I start and what do I do yeah. now this is a fair question right and this is something that a lot of people struggle with it used to be easier uh, um, in the earlier times why because almost every geographical area had one madhab yes right? and that was what was studied and life was quite simply simple right but now uh, we live in a very globalized world the world is a village and you have access to all of this information and um, people tend to move out a lot more now so yeah. in one place you'd have although there's still like for example um, Egypt will be dominated by the Shafi'i Madhab for example and, and for example the the, the, the Gulf the Hamil Madhab for example and you'll have uh, North Africa the Maliki Madhab for example right uh, in, the, in the subcontinent it will be the Hanafi Madhab in Turkey so you still have kind of these um, um, these geographical locations where there is a dominant uh, madhab, right? And people, people adhere to these without realizing it, <laughs> because in any of the have to understand is a lot of times I, I ask this question to people sometimes, right? Do you point your finger in salah? Some will say yes. Do you move it? Some will say yes. Some will say no, right? Okay. And I ask them, did you learn this from the actual hadith? <laughs> did you actually see the hadith that the Prophet when he sat, he pointed his finger? And most people say, no, I've actually never seen the hadith, right? So, okay, so where did you get this from? And some, some will say, well, I learned in a, in a, in a, in a Salah course. And I asked them a question, wait, before you joined the Salah course, did you know about it? Or was that the first time? No, 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 you kind of knew about it. How? I saw people praying. Yeah. I saw people praying. So a lot of what we know, we learn it because it's been transmitted and we see our father praying, our mother praying, and she's already praying a certain way. Yeah. And this is why you'll find people that haven't formally studied, they still pray, they mm-hmm. stay in istighfar, they still do ibadat. What are they doing and why are they doing it? These are remnants of these madahib. Mm-hmm. They might not formally studying them, but because they're so predominant and because that's how people are taught in the madrasa or something, their grandfathers and their great-grandfathers. So you see that kind of uh, uh, get into the, per- the person is already following particular uh, way of salah and a particular way and they don't realize it right? yeah. so, so uh, in that sense everyone is kind of already in like a box mm-hmm. right 
Now, then the question is, should someone formalize that? Should someone then say, you know what, I am going to be a Hanafi and I'm going to study the Hanafi Madhab, live by the Hanafi Madhab, or I'm going to be a Hanbali, study it, live by it, etc. Right? And the answer to that is, first of all, it depends on who is talking, right? A general rule that everyone should know is as a lay person, as a regular person, you're not required to follow a madhab. Mm-hmm. As a regular person, no one will ask you, Allah will not ask you, why were you not a Hanafi, a Shafi, a Hanbali, or, or, or whatever the case. <laughs> but you know what you are supposed to do? When you don't know something, ask the people of knowledge. That's mentioned in the Quran. When you do not know, ask the people of knowledge, right? Uh, ask the people of knowledge if you do not know. So the ulama say, upon the regular person, is whenever they come across something, halal, is it halal or haram? Should I do this or not? Is my salah correct in this way or isn't? Ask a person of knowledge that you trust. Mm-hmm. And that could be someone that lives in your vicinity. Mm-hmm. It could be a scholar that you trust, that you can call. Mm-hmm. And that it doesn't matter what madhab they either follow or don't follow, if they don't follow madhab at all, or whatever the case is. You need to find an alim that you trust and you need to ask him the question. And once he gives you the answer, you need to just take that answer. And this is the role of the regular person, right? This is why the, so a, a statement that you'll find in the fiqh books is, Al-Ami la madhab lahu. The regular person has no madhab. Madhabuhu mm. madhabu mufti. His madhab is the madhab of the person who's giving him the fatwa. Mm-hmm. Right? So that being said, so then, then who should formalize their studies and follow madhab? In fact, and should we even? It's another question. Mm-hmm. Should we study a madhab? Now, the ulama from the past and the present, they always advise if you want to learn fiqh formally, the best way to do so is to build yourself up by studying a madhab. Learn the ABCs of a basic madhab, which the one that's the most dominant in where you live. This is why you'll have Saudi scholars teaching Hanbali madhab. Mm. You have uh, scholars in Morocco or Senegal teaching the Maliki madhab, scholars in Yemen teaching the Shafi madhab. Why? Because this is how all the scholars that came before us did it, right? Mm. And the thing is, we don't create new ways. This is how they study. So if you want to study and formalize the study of fiqh, then you should choose a madhab and study it. Now, this is a very important point as well. Just because you're studying a particular madhab, that doesn't mean everything in it will be 100% correct. Mm-hmm. Just like Omar al-Khattab's opinion were not all 100% correct. correct. Yeah. And similarly, uh, uh, neither were uh, the other Sahaba's opinions. Because if they were correct, then how come we have them disagreeing? How come we have Aisha correct and other companions? If they, that, that shows you there's going to be an element of, of uh, one that are going to be more correct than others. Yeah. But... To be on this path and formalize your studies, the the best way is to use these schools of thought that done the work mm-hmm. for you. One could argue. Uh, so we already discussed the regular person. They just ask whoever is available for them. And the person that wants to study, he should pick a madhab. How does he choose it? Whatever is the most dominant. And if, if it's a very mixed area, like the UK, for example, yeah. then you'll find your whatever teacher that you can find, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever teacher you can find, they can teach you. Now, one could argue, why? Why can't I just go straight to the Quran and Sunnah, mm-hmm. right? And so some people will say, for example, I can just learn a Hadith book and study that, like Umatul Ahkam and the other books, uh, such as... I, I really want to talk about this. Yeah, 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 no, go, on, it? go on. Because, um, look... Yeah, it's true, you know, and and if you're someone who's who's a layman and uh, and, you, and you are learning, there are different opinions. So, I think one thing we need to learn, uh, or even think about, is the fact that 
automatically when you find a difference of opinion yeah you already your your brain says right and wrong yeah he's wrong and he's right he's right yeah i'm right they're wrong yeah and this it even this is the division we were talking about yes so this how do we reconcile with this you know because look what what approach what mentality should people have with this kind okay. of with with this okay again i would ask who's the one asking mm-hmm. who's the person what is their, their their level of understanding right if you're a regular person who doesn't really study the dean in detail and you're told okay there's opinion a and opinion b and opinion c mm-hmm. frankly i would say uh, with all due respect you would not be able to distinguish between which one is more correct because you don't have the tools of the knowledge mm. right? it would be it would be no different than if three doctors gave their uh, opinions right so a doctor told you okay you got to have surgery and so you know what i want a second opinion when people ask a second opinion they're not claiming to be more knowledgeable mm. but they're like you know i just want to see what options are available mm. and then they will start looking for what is the safest approach for me right mm-hmm. and then i'm say no you don't need surgery you can do something like that. Like, but the fact of the matter is you have no knowledge mm-hmm. about the actual medicine and you have no knowledge about the actual intricacies of why these scholars chose these opinion and these views mm-hmm. and why they explain this hadith this way or deem this hadith to be daif or deem that this ayah is maybe abrogated or whatever the case is. Mm-hmm. So what should you do? Now, number one, like I said, you shouldn't be looking at a lot of opinions. You should be asking a scholar you trust and you should take that, mm-hmm. right? Exposing yourself to several opinions will lead you to choosing, and this is something I always say, two things either happen. You have someone who will always choose to say the easiest option. <laughs> easy option. There's khilaf in it. Let me see which one is the most relaxed one. This one. I'll do this one. Halal. I'll do the sheikh, oh, this, I like the sheikh. Why? He says everything is halal. Right? This is a problem, right? Because now you could be said that you are doing what's called fetish shopping. shopping. Right? And fetish shopping is basically following your own nafs. Right? Uh, and your desires. There's another extreme that I've seen, which is someone wants to be so cautious. He look at the most extreme. I say, I'm going to take this one. Mm. Why? Because I don't want to take a chance, right? And there is some khair in always being careful, but this is not that you're not supposed to have this stress mm. of which opinion. You're not a fiqih. Mm-hmm. So rather than going on Islamic Q&A mm-hmm. or going on this and that and just kind of swifting through opinion, Islamic Q&A, then Islam web, then let me look at the other website and the other website. And then all of a sudden you have all these opinions and then you're confused. Yeah. And then you come to your local imam and say, Sheikh, uh, what's the ruling on this? And he will tell you one of the opinions. And he said, bah, Islam have said this. Yeah. And the Sheikh was like, yeah, well, okay, well, then what do you want me to do, right? And, yeah. the, the, and you just get more confused. Yeah. So the best thing, my advice is, if you have a genuine religious question and you're a regular person, ask a Sheikh that you trust, you trust his knowledge, and then stick with that. What about uh, matters of, uh, I've also come across people who question the answer that they're given, right? For example, when you said I've, I've, a person might say, I heard this somewhere yeah. else, I've, but the question the person who gives given the answer and say, Well, um, Sheikh, you've given me the answer. What's your delete. evidence? What's, what's your delete? delete? Yes, very good. What's very your delete? Good. Now, again, uh, this is eventually what's the delete for this, brother? Yeah. You don't have a delete. Yeah. Right? Your delete is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> right? So, with this, first thing we have to say is, Do you have the right to ask for a delete? Some people say, No, you don't. But I say, There's nothing wrong. Okay. It's praiseworthy to ask for a delete. But don't pester the person, right? And also, go learn what a dalil is. 
A dalil isn't just a statement from the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. A dalil is not only just a verse from the Quran. Yeah. There are many different adilla. Yeah. And this is why, and because people haven't studied, I'll give someone say, there's no hadith for this." Okay, for example, I'll give you an example, right? Tarawih uh, praying uh, twenty, right? Mm. People say there's no hadith for this, right? Yeah. Therefore, there's no dalil. There's no evidence. Yeah. The question, you, the, the question is, is, is there is a very strong and very strong deal for this. Yeah. And what's that? That Umar al-Khattab radiallahu anhu, yeah. he did it. He didn't do it himself. He assigned Ubay ibn Ka'ab to lead the people, another great companion and one of the most knowledgeable regarding the Quran. Not only did he assign Ubay ibn Ka'ab and Umar al-Khattab kind of said, let's pray this many. The Sahaba filled the masjid. The masjid was packed with who? Companions yeah. and tabi'een perhaps, right? Yeah. And there's no one that said, yo, this is wrong. Hmm. This is why some ulama said, this is almost like ijma, if not actual ijma, right? Yeah. And, and the consensus of the companions is a dalil. SubhanAllah. But the person won't think about that. Like if you ask yourself like, all of these people, they came together. Right? They were all wrong, <laughs> right? They were all wrong. So this is the ishkal, right? So when you're going to feel, feel free to ask for a dalil, but also appreciate that sometimes you won't get a dalil. The dalil might be analogy. It might be a qiyas, mm -hmm. right? So this ruling is being looked at with all its similarities of a completely different ruling. Yeah. So it's not direct dalil, yeah. right? The dalil uh, might be, uh, so there are many different, it might be a statement of a companion. Mm -hmm. It might be a statement of a companion that, uh, and some scholars, so the point I want to make is, these are all adilla. When you're going to be asking for a dalil, if you just expect a hadith, that's not how fiqh works. Mm. If you're expecting a verse, that's not how fiqh works. But so am I going to then tell people, you know what, you guys are not allowed to ask for a dalil? No, because it is a praiseworthy thing to stay connected. Mm -hmm. So that we don't just assume that all these statements in these fiqh books have no dalil, mm. right? And this is why, uh, one could argue, uh, some said that one of the flaws of fiqh books is that they don't mention dalil. But there's reasons they don't. They don't mention the dalil. If, if you open a fiqh book, it will just tell you, this is halal, this is haram, this is what you should do, these are the conditions, and, and they won't mention dalil. The advanced ones do, but the basic ones don't, right? And some ulama said, maybe it would be better if they did mention the dalil. But there's a reason why they don't, because uh, you're being now trained, right? And you're now being exposed to all of these, these issues and these verdicts and these rulings, and you're not ready for the dalil yet. You're not ready for the deal yet. It's the second stage. Mm. When once you get this, then you'll taught, be taught the adilla, right? So it's almost like a way of training and a way of teaching. But some ulama they chose recently to add the adilla to these books, just to show people there everything in here has an evidence. Yeah. And I had that personally when I was teaching a fiqh class, and someone said to Sheikh, "What's the deal for this? What's the deal for this?" And I, I brought a book to him that showed all the adilla, right? Uh, and the, the reason was because the, the assumption. When you tell me something, a verdict that there is no evidence for it, this is most of the time incorrect. There's usually an evidence for it. It might not be what people are, are used to. So can they ask? Yes. Do they have sometimes uh, the ability to understand the intricacies and what the deal is and how the scholar came to the conclusion? Maybe no. Um, Do you think this is a trust issue? Because um, It might be, yeah. Because of, uh, of course, of a, a lot of different kind of, as, yeah. as we've kind of, 
progressed in uh, in, in in Islam, like as time has progressed, not yeah. Islam, but as time has progressed, you know, we've had different sects, different groups, yeah, and everyone is kind of you know uh, outside of the madhabs, maybe even calling to something. So people have been kind of trained in that way to say be very careful be very careful whatever you get from a sheikh yeah. ask him for his delil yeah no he gets it from. again again there's nothing wrong with that yeah and i would say people that want delil they this is really because we were at a stage at one point and this must be mentioned where people and this is the stable called ta'asub which is blind allegiance and following and saying my madhab is better than your madhab yeah right yeah this is like i don't know my dad is stronger than your dad right this is like very childish my madhab no that's not the case yeah and uh, scholars would say no one should decide the one madhab is better than the other yeah and in fact uh, this is why what you have is very high caliber scholars they will say sometimes say in this issue the hanafi opinion is the strongest in this issue the Malik opinion is the strongest in this issue is that why are they doing this because they understand the strengths and the weaknesses of every school yeah and these are the very high caliber scholars so they will actually look and they will appreciate all of them yeah um but so th that's not the case you shouldn't be thinking okay which is but that being said uh what we what did happen and in fact the scholars they, they documented this there was a times where these schools created division mm -hmm. and they had some ridiculous stuff and they would uh, say that uh, Hanafis are better than Shafi'is and Shafi'is are better than this and that and the Malikis are, and, the, and you will have this, right? Is it is it even correct in saying at one point people wouldn't marry from different madhabs? Yes, these these happen historically although sometimes we tend to exaggerate those stories okay. but there was definitely some extremism that came as a result of allegiances to schools mm. and as a counter reaction to that there came a views that all of it is bad Mm. All of it in its entirety is bad. And this is why we shouldn't throw the baby away with the bathwater. Mm. No, these are respectable schools. Allah preserved the deen within these yeah. uh, schools. Uh, Shaykh Rasulullah Taymi says that uh, is present, uh, the, the, general is, the general Islam or Sharia is present within these schools. Yeah. Right? So it's a huge resource. And it is a way for people to learn their deen. Right, yeah. and like I mentioned, if you go back step by step, it goes back to the Sahaba, right? Yeah, uh, that being said, there are always two extremes. One extreme, this particular school, everything in it is correct. In fact, I would say it would be factually incorrect to say within the four schools, all the haq is in. Mm. It might be that although it's a very tiny minority, there might be some issues where these four schools all got it wrong. Yeah. It, it, it's a possibility hmm. some will some ulama are very strict and say no no uh, i'll say uh, within the four schools everything in it this is this is this is it yeah but i would say like like Mutaymi said no most 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 the vast majority you'll find in here but you could find a scholar saying you know what there is another opinion that might be outside of what the format of the agreed upon and and and, and read that to be the stronger one yeah so as a so coming back to the question what you said um uh how should uh, this distrust it came from the extreme allegiances and blind allegiance yeah and then uh, coupled with that with the distrust that came as a result people are always like i'm not sure what's the delete for it yeah and i said it's a healthy thing within the ummah that we are busy with evidences it's a healthy thing we need that yeah. but that should not lead us to, to to assume there is no evidence yeah to assume that we understand the details of evidences or that evidences are just a hadith and just a ayah there's a lot more surrounding it and that's a lot of it is missing um 
And a lot of it people are not aware of. Yeah. So when scholars come to conclusions, they base it on a lot more than what you think they are basing it upon. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll give you an example. You must sometimes find ulama acting upon something and the hadith is daif. Mm-hmm. And you're like, but wait, why is the hadith daif, right? You have to be, try to be in their footsteps. Look, look at Imam Malik lives in Medina. He sees people that saw companions. He's learning from people that saw people that saw the Prophet ﷺ. Look how close he is, right? Yeah. And then there might be in a narration that goes to the Prophet, but that narration, there is someone that's da'if in it, so that narration is from its, uh, its, its weak. Yeah. But everyone does this. All of Medina, they do this, this thing. So the fact that everyone is doing it suggests that the previous generation was also what? Doing it. Which suggests that the Sahaba were what? Doing, doing it. it. Yeah. Therefore, he will say, I'm going to do this, although the hadith is life. Mm-hmm. Does this logic make sense? Yeah. It does. This is the part of fiqh that people don't see. Mm-hmm. Come to a thousand years later, you lead, oh, the hadith is da'if. Let's not do this. But you need to appreciate why they said that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I think this is what people are not exposed to. And this is why, if anything, we need to respect these schools. Yeah. We need to appreciate the work that the ulama have done for thousands of years in collecting and, and rectifying and reworking and, and using different types of evidences, uh, applying it to the Quran soon, applying their fiqh, their understanding. Yeah. We should never go back to the age where there was blind allegiance and blind following. Mm-hmm. We should also uh, uh, be, there's nothing wrong with asking for evidences, but what's the general rule? What should you do if you're a regular person? Like we said, you should... Ask a scholar you trust. Yeah. If you're a student of knowledge, the scholars advise to the particular madhab, but it doesn't mean you have to be, you're not in a box. Mm-hmm. You're not in a box. Imam Nawawi, who is a Shafi'i scholar, would sometimes disagree with the Shafi'i madhab. It's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. So this is, inshallah ta'ala, I believe that the, the way forward. So, okay. Um, now, we were mentioning before about some whoever the layman is and they're coming across these. Uh, these difference of opinions nah. and, the, and the madhab issue. Yeah. I think it's important to mention um, the matter of um, ishtihad and yeah. who can do it. In other words, who has the right to reach these verdicts? Yeah. And Because we said, right, fatwa shopping. Yes. You see all these different, yeah, yeah. okay, this is that. Yes. Uh, uh, yes, exactly. So the scholars, the ulama are the ones that do ijtihad. Right. Mm-hmm. And there are several conditions people mention. I don't want to get into the in- details of that. But suffice to say that it's not a joke to do ijtihad. Yeah. This is for the elite scholars to do. Yeah. In fact, this is why nowadays, when a really big matter is happening, you won't, you will find a whole body of scholars coming together mm-hmm. to, to kind of um, uh, reach a conclusion. Mm-hmm. Because they understand that there's, there's strength in numbers. Yeah. They want to apply all of it. Like Omar Khattab used to do, they would say, Jama'a badrin ala hadil mas'ala. He would, all the Sahaba that participate in Badr, he would bring them on the issue to reach a conclusion, right? So you have all these different uh, body, scholarly bodies that come together in these conferences to discuss a number of issues, right? The reason is because of how difficult it is and you have to appreciate to reach a conclusion. And we should respect the ulama that are engaged in these verdicts. We respect their methodologies and their manhajiyah. And we shouldn't try and be in their footsteps when we don't have the right to. Mm-hmm. Uh, regular people, even uh, basic students of knowledge, they shouldn't be thinking, okay, I can do fatwa now. Yeah. That's just not your role. This is not your role. Uh, this, the role of students of knowledge is to transmit the verdicts of the scholars. The roles of the regular folks is to accept 
those uh, verdicts and take them as they are when they if they if they, if they trust the alim and the person is mm-hmm. and we should leave the ijtihad to the mujtahids mm-hmm. and leave the verdicts to the scholars mm. i think um it's important to mention that we did do a panel discussion with Naam. you and qari zakaullah uh, talking about who is the scholar and referring back to scholars yes we did and, and i no. think it would be really good for the viewers uh to to watch that because now that may be the question where, well okay then i can't do ishtihad i'm not mujtahid yeah. and uh it's the a higher caliber of scholars who are they where are they yeah. you know how would they what are the attributes what are the characteristics Naam. and stuff Naam. like that and that that could be answered in there so it will not take in that time in our discussion to discuss that probably be better to look over no absolutely um and now also i think also another thing is um in matters of fiqh you know the whole thing about where this whole um quote unquote uh modern islam yeah. progression in islam and all these kind of different things that are yeah. coming about you know i think it's it's really there is a tradition there's a definitely there's a tradition that that we have yeah and i think um when we are talking about this we shouldn't be pushing away people from the tradition yeah we should be actually calling on people to stri- to stay to that tradition and not 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 kind of like you know Th- this is one of the problems that came as a result of the call to ijtihad let's all do ijtihad right yes uh, this problem although the the initial call for independent researching and kind of getting away from the schools was um, the, the all the things that you mentioned, the distrust, the rigidity, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. But you opened a door for people that are not ahl uh, ilm yeah. to say, you know what? Uh, this, let me try this ijtihad thing. Yeah. Well, in my opinion, I think this is fine. Yeah. In my opinion, we need to move away from this. In my opinion, and this is a door that was opened, right? And it's important that uh, that door should not be open for regular folks. The moment regular folks, people that haven't studied stop making decisions and verdicts based on no knowledge about the deen yeah you open the doors and you create these things such as uh, all these deviant ideologies that are coming as a, as a result yeah. of people saying you know what i can apply my own reasoning to islam yeah because they say look um the quran was revealed to the prophet yeah and we've been given the book why can't i just take the book read the verse and just say if that's the case then why did allah tell us to go to people of knowledge allah akbar right yeah and yeah. why is there such a thing as People of knowledge, ahlul mm. ilm, right? Yeah. Um, so this is very simply answered. Mm. Uh, people, you need to go back to the people of knowledge for your religious understanding. Jazakallah uh, I really appreciate the time you've took. Uh, and we spoke about this. You know, perhaps maybe um, this can be done in more depth. And I know the time was very limited. No, it's fine. Alhamdulillah. You know, but yeah. I think this is like almost like a scratch on the surface. Inshallah, if yeah. there are questions people have, they can always come to the masjid or, yeah. you know, contact us and 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 maybe we could discuss these matters further. Yes. Maybe even have uh, other guests with us. But it's been a blessing to have you. Barakallah fiqh. It was uh, a genuine honor. Alhamdulillah, and I. I pray and ask Allah to grant this to be beneficial for those who are watching I mean and for it to be a reason for more guidance and not a reason for you know dalala and no. and this and disunity I mean Allahumma amin. and uh inshallah we'll end it there okay and uh, I'll be seeing you soon that will definitely definitely inshallah inshallah Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.